Well, as close as those song selections were, it's quite obvious we're not doing a lot of wear on the songbooks tonight, are we? We didn't have to turn a lot of pages. It's good to be able to speak again. I, I have that opportunity sometimes. I know last Sunday night, Chris announced that he wasn't going to be here tonight. And then as soon as church was over, he made a beeline to me and said, you can cover for me, can't you? So I appreciate him letting me know. One time he asked me on Sunday morning, say, can you preach tonight? Of course, he knew what the answer would be, but sometimes we don't have much time to prepare. The song we just sing, How Great Thou Art, is one of the greatest songs, I think, that may have ever been written. There are a lot of beautiful songs. I live with songs every day. When I get in my car, I've got songs going because I want to be reminded of what I need to be thinking about. And we're going to talk about some of those things tonight. Paul was a uh, man that, boy, he, he did so much encouraging. But he was a man just like us. He had his faults. And I'm the first to admit, when it comes to faults... Uh, I kind of think, you know, I might have been related to Paul because Paul said, I'm, I'm the worst one of all. And sometimes I feel like that because of weaknesses we all have and we go through times where we're emotionally up and emotionally down. And I've been through those down times. I know what it feels like to be discouraged, to need to really reach down to the bottom of your bootstraps and pull yourself out of a, out of a deep old rut or a deep old ditch. And that's not easy to do. In our Sunday, Sunday morning class, we've been studying Abraham. Abraham is an interesting character. And we've never really thought about it, but Abraham was a person that was really needing some training before he could become what God really wanted him to be. When God first talked to him when he was about 75 years old and says, Abraham, you're going to be a father of all nations. Not just one nation, but all nations. And Abraham says, okay. Uh, he kind of reminded God, God, I don't have any kids. <laughs> you know, and that was kind of a prerequisite. So time went on, and we'll notice in the life of Abraham that there were times that God reassured him again, Abraham, you're going to have so many descendants, you look up at the stars, and they're going to be more like the stars, or they're going to be like the sands of the seashore. And Abraham says, God, I don't have any kids. So that was something that God had to continually keep training him on. And see, from the time he was 75, it was 24 years before he knew for sure that child is coming soon. He was already an old man. He was 99 years old. So basically what had happened is God had given him 24 years of training in order for him to be able to be the father of a great bunch of descendants. Because as we look at the life of Abraham, number one, he was a good liar. He didn't have much faith in God because every time he brought it up, he said, God, uh, you know I still don't have any kids. God says, I know. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And him and his wife, they tried to help God along like we do sometimes. We know that God has a plan for us. He has things he wants us to do. But if he doesn't work those plans right on our schedule, we try to help him. 
And that usually, just like it did Abraham and Sarah, gets us into a lot of trouble. We need not to do that. With the thing I want to stress tonight, if I had a name for this, the name of this lesson would be learning to lean on Jesus. And that's something we have to practice. It doesn't happen automatically. How many of you, when you were first born, knew how to walk? Raise your hand. No hands, right? I didn't learn to either. But that's something I had to learn. I had to be taught. And I had to want to walk. You know, I've seen people that talk about their babies being lazy babies. They didn't want to walk. It's too much trouble. It's too much, e- too much easier to just let you do everything for them. But sometimes we're like that with God. We don't want to do all we can do. We want God, you can handle that, can't you? I don't really need to help you. And that's just like when we pray God to God and we ask him to do something for us. You know, he says, if you ask to move a mountain, if you have faith the side of a mustard seed, you can do that. But the only problem is, he says, okay, here's a shovel. I'll meet you in the middle. Whoa, that wasn't what I had in mind, God. And that we run into that all the time when people are learning to lean on, jo- on, a jo- on God. A baby, when they're born, they know three things. Eat, sleep, and cry. And make a dirty diaper. That's just part of the territory. That's all they know. They depend totally on each one of us. But there comes a point, if we're good parents, is we teach them how to do things. And that is a long, long process sometimes. Abraham had that same problem. He had to learn how to, t- how to trust God. But everything that a child has, they have to learn. 90% of that is from someone else. And that's us as parents. It's our responsibility to teach them. You know, psychologists say that young children develop most of their habits of life by the time they're six years old. So that puts a great burden and a load on parents. And it's tough being a parent. We have to learn everything. The only problem is we can learn bad stuff just as easily as we can good stuff. And that's what we have to make a difference in what we're learning here. Either way, we still learn those bad things just like we do the good things if we're exposed to them all the time. We have to get away from bad habits. That's something that makes life miserable for all of us. But you know why most people don't get away from their bad habits yet? Because they don't want to yet. If you don't want to get away from your bad habits, you're not going to. You have to focus on what do I really want? Do I want to change? Do I want to do this? You know, most of us, we go through things that especially just through this time of year where we make New Year's resolutions. How many of you have already broken those New Year's resolutions? Most of us have. Doesn't usually take very long because everything else becomes more important so we don't focus on those things. When we're wanting to learn, when we're wanting to change, we have to learn 
to focus. But sometimes we're not able to change those things in our life because we don't want to bad enough. Sometimes it's not within our power to do that. Larry had an excellent lesson this morning where he talked about the Pharisee. See, the Pharisee had an eye problem. He said, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. I'm a great guy, God, and I thank you I'm not like this guy here. You know, most of us have a habit of doing the same thing. We compare ourselves to everybody else, says, well, I'm just as good as he is. So is that what you're supposed to be comparing things to? And that's why this song, Learning to Lean, is so important. We, a lot of times, don't have the power because we depend on us, and we fall flat of our face, and when we do, we have a tendency, well, God made me do that. He didn't help me. And this song that I like is one of my favorite songs. It's called Learning to Lean. It's sad, broken-hearted. So often I knelt, and I found God's peace so serene. And all that he asked is a childlike trust and a heart that's learning to lean. Learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I ever dreamed. Learning to lean on Jesus. The important thing is, that we have to recognize where the power to change is. And it's not here. It's there. Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, he said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God. That's where the power's at. When we start depending on ourselves, we're looking to the wrong source for the power to change and do what God wants us to do. We have to get away from that old, old habit. The power is in God, not in us. The important thing we have to remember is, what do you want? What are you looking for? What are your goals? You know, at work, they're always coming out with comments, and that's where my comments from work are, right here. Because I write them down, because I don't want to forget them. I want to remember those. And one says, if you want to alter your life, first you have to alter your attitude. That's the attitude about change. And it's one of those deals that we look at it, everything, and we say, boy, I can't do that. And another saying that I quote is this, do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. You know the old saying from motivational speakers, and I used to listen to one especially all the time, Zig Ziglar. Those of you who have been in sales, I'm sure you've listened to Zig Ziglar tapes and speeches. And he always tells us that thing there, if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. Because we put our own restrictions on ourselves, and then when it doesn't work out, we try to blame it on God. We're the one that's responsible. When it comes to those things, we have to own them. What's really important to realize that the things we do for ourselves are going to be gone when we're gone. But the things that we do for others will be a part of our legacy that will live on forever. 
Sometimes we struggle with those things, and so we get real discouraged. But when you're struggling, that doesn't mean you're failing. That means you're facing the hard obstacles of growth. It doesn't matter how much you need something. If you don't want it, you'll never attain it. Now, I'm not trying to be uh, insensitive here when I use this illustration. It was an old Indian man and a couple of cowboys that were watering, wandering around in the desert. Now, boy, they were thirsty. And they were really, really hungry. And they were sitting at the campfire one night. And the two cowboys said, boy, I can't wait till we get to town and eat the biggest steak they've got there. They were just thinking about it and thinking about it. They asked the Indian, he said, you hungry? Indian not hungry. They didn't understand that. So later on, they got into town, and they pulled into the restaurant, and they all three ordered the biggest steaks you could order. And they looked around, and that Indian was eating like that, that he hadn't had, like he hadn't had food in 20 years. And they asked him, says, I thought you said you weren't hungry. He said, no food, not wise to be hungry. See, that's how what we look on, we're focusing a lot of times on the wrong thing. We have to have the attitude of a child that's little. All you have to do to get a child to walk and teach them how to walk is somebody they love and they care about stand out in front of them and hold your hands out. Haven't you all taught your children to learn to walk that same way? Because they wanted to be near you. They wanted your encouragement. They wanted your strength. They wanted to please you. And sometimes we have to learn to do the same thing. We all have to learn things. One of the greatest attitudes we can have is expressed by Paul in Philippians 4.11. When he talks about this, this is the key to everything we do. You know, mankind is somebody that uh, we're never happy. We always want something else. What we do a lot of times, and I was talking to someone this morning about it. When it's hot, we want it cold. When it's cold, we want it hot. Man always wants what's not. But Paul learned the key to this. In Philippians 4, verse 11, he said, This I've learned. How did he learn? He learned it just like you and I do through experience. He said, I've learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. We're always wanting something better. You know, we drive down the street and one of our neighbors gets a new car. Well, Mom, maybe you ought to get a new car. We used to call that, and I'm not insulting Rod, we used to call that keeping up with the Joneses. But you can use any name in there. We're never happy. We're never satisfied. We always want more. And when we get more, then we're still disappointed because we realize that doesn't solve the problem. And that is when we talk about heaven. You know, a lot of us, we all say we want to go to heaven. And it's, but it's like that old Loretta Lynn song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's the only way there. 
I tell people all the time when they're fretting and they're worrying about everything, you know, they're just a bag of nerves. I say, just remember this, you're never going to get out alive. That's important to remember. That changes a focus completely on these things to what really matters. And the older you get, the more you'll think about that. But the biggest mistake we make a lot of times is we don't necessarily really, really want to go to heaven. We don't really, really want to go with God. That's not our focus. Our focus is, I don't want to go to hell. And that's the only other place there is. So that's where I want to go. We have to learn to love God. And again, I'm using the word over and over. Learn. We're not born loving anybody. But we learn how to love people. We learn to love that scallywag that lives down the street who mistreats us. We learn to love that person that's not very lovable. And God says that's what you've got to learn to do. When you're able to do that, then that's when you really know you've accomplished what you want to accomplish. You know, power that we have from God, the idea of power is it's power. When I learn to forgive somebody that doesn't feel bad about something they've done wrong, that's hard to do. Well, they didn't ask me to forgive them. Why should they ask you? As a Christian, we have to learn to forgive. Otherwise, we cannot expect forgiveness in return. That's something that we really have to focus on because it's not easy. It's not easy to change that. And I guess the second question then becomes, how do you get what you want? What helps a lot is if you want the right things. You know those cowboys out there? They wanted, they wanted, they wanted. But they didn't ever get it until they got to a different place. They had to get to where they were in a position to receive that. And a lot of times we want forgiveness. But we're not in a, a, a position to receive that forgiveness because we haven't learned how to forgive yet ourselves. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive others. That's the condition. Until we learn to forgive others, Jesus said, I can't forgive you. You've got to learn that. You've got to learn that forgiveness is the key. Forgiveness is where the power lies in becoming what you want to become. You know, I can't give you a formula for success. But I can give you a formula for failure. And that's simply this. Try to please everyone else all the time. And I guarantee you, you'll fail. There's only one person, or really two people in reality, that you have to learn to please. That's yourself and God. And those need to be in tune with each other. This person over here isn't my judge. This person is not the one whose approval I need. I need the approval of God. And the only way to do that is to treat others the same way. Sometimes we fail. 
But whenever we fail, it's always somebody else's fault. Sounds like Adam and Eve, doesn't it? God came to him and says, Adam, what is this? He says, well, God, you know that woman you gave me. She made me do this. Then he turned to the woman. He says, she said, well, you know that old snake, that devil, he's the one that made me do this. It's not my fault. But the important thing in the end is each one of them, we have to own it. When we fail, we have to say, I failed because I didn't want success bad enough and I didn't want to work hard enough at it. We have to focus on what we're doing. We have to plan. We have to commit. We have to put our life on the line. That's what's important. Why do we fail? Because we try to do it all by ourselves. You can't do that. Jesus, when he left, he said, I want you, to, you apostles to be aware. I'm going away. And he said, I'm going to send you a helper. But he says, when I go away, he said, I want you to know I'm with you everywhere you go. I'm right there helping you. I've got my hand out. I sometimes talk about the poem that's written called Footprints. And most of you have seen it. But the important thing about that is when we're walking along and we see two rows of footprints on the sand and then those have to do with our lifeline, what, where we're at in life. And we come to a certain point when we're going through despair, we're suffering, we're trying to do the best we can and sometimes failing, and then there's only one footprint there, one set of footprints. And we're talking to God, says, God, how come when it really got tough, you quit? And the important thing, the bottom line says, no, I didn't quit. said, it was then that I carried you. Realize that no matter what you try to do, God is always there and he's willing to carry you. But you've got to trust him. In our Sunday morning class and studying the Bible, my theme, and they'll tell you, I wear it out. The whole function of man, summed up any way you want to word it, but in that I say it runs back to another song. That song was the first song I ever led when I started leading singing, that is trust and obey. That's the bottom line. That's the only way we will ever be successful, when we learn to trust and obey. And sometimes that's hard to do. Because God may lead us some places we're not really crazy about going. He may want us to do some things we're not crazy about doing. And so we kind of buck up and get stubborn about it. Finally, we come to the realization, hey, I've got to do what God says. I've got to trust him and obey him. In Larry's lesson this morning, he talked about the tax collector and the Pharisee. One of them thought that he was too good to do what God wanted him to do, and the other one felt unworthy. Both of them had improvements that they could make. The first of all was the Pharisee is you can't do it by yourself. That's not I, I, I. He said, well, I've done this and I've done that and I've done that. And basically, if God was talking to, so? That's like people who believe in God. He said, that's great, that's wonderful. But if that's all you do, the devils do that much. Not much consolation, is it? 
what God wants us to be more than anything else. And there's only one way to achieve that. He wants us to be a winner. God doesn't like losers. He likes winners. Do you like to lose? We look on Sunday afternoons, football games. Nobody likes to lose. They're all trying to win. But some succeed and some fail. And God likes winners. He likes people that that circle or whose circle of life involves being around winners. That has a lot to do with who you spend your time with, who your friends are, who you associate with. You think, well, I'm trying to lead them, but sometimes we wound up being led by them, and that's where we get into a problem. We have to realize that there's only one person we should be following, and that's Jesus. You follow somewhere else, you're not going to the same place he is. Because that's where he's going to lead you if you follow him. All right, I appreciate your time tonight. Uh, Those are just some cheer-up things, and everybody knows I'm a cheer-up guy. You know, somebody tells me to have a great day, and I tell you, I plan on it. I plan on it every day. Every day is a great day. If you don't think it is, you try and live without just one of them. So we have to focus on that. Now, tonight, if you're here and you didn't have a chance to take communion this morning, it's prepared in room 100 right outside the aisle on your right. And uh, so, Rod, if you'll lead us in our closing uh, song, and and then uh, Bob will be able to make his comments or whatever he wants to. Thank you. Let's stand.